while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord, Lord Christ. Christ. Well, good morning again. Can everyone hear me okay? Yes? Nods? Okay, great. So, um, as we begin this morning, uh, I just want to say, this is a passage, this passage of Jesus walking on water that many of us may have heard growing up, and maybe some of us have never heard it. Wherever you're coming from this morning, I just want to invite you to hear it afresh today. Uh, at surface level, it's this kind of interesting, flashy story, and, and can be a, almost a shallow story. I can assure you there are turns and twists in this passage that are captivating for all ages. So I invite you to tune in as we hear from God's word. I'm going to say one more word of prayer, and then we'll look at this passage. So, dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, amen. So to begin our message today, I, I want to begin with our custom, which is a reflective question. And the question this morning is this, have you ever had a scary experience on open water? Yeah? This is so cute. I just saw a wife turn to her husband and just give him the death stare. So clearly, some of you have had scary experiences on open water. And, and if you've been around my family for a while, you know we, we like open water, especially paddleboarding, uh, paddleboarding around Charleston. And um, we, another secret of our family, we don't just simply paddleboard. Often we paddleboard on the hunt for shark's teeth. Any other shark teeth hunters in the room today? Yes, Kathy Amendolia, I love it. Yes. So listen, it was only a, few, a couple weeks ago that after a huge storm, that's one of our kind of inside, insider scoops, when it storms, the pluff mud is washed away and new teeth are exposed, ancient teeth, megalodon teeth. So fittingly, a couple weeks ago, it stormed heavily and my son Blaze said, Dad, can we go look for teeth? And, uh, and I said, sure, Blaze. And, and uh, Sailor's like, okay, I want to go too. So Sailor's my daughter, our daughter. She's 10. Blaze is 12. Now, Blaze is graduating from a small kayak to paddleboarding. And this would have been his, only, uh, his second time going. So we walk down to the Wando River here, the Charleston Harbor. And it is white capping. Do you guys know what that means? It's so windy and wavy that it, the waves are crashing into the, store, the shore. And my daughter, Sailor's like, I'm out. 
She's like, I'm out, Dad. I love you. And I'm like, okay, boo-boo. I love you too. And Blaze goes, Blaze says, I'm in. Right? Some of you are like, I'm in. And so Blaze, I said, Blaze, are you sure? This looks kind of dangerous. And he's like, yeah, I want to go out there. And so I, I said, do you know what you're doing? He's like, I think I've got it. So he gets on his hands and knees and starts paddling out. He puts his leash on, life jacket on, starts paddling away from the shore. And I said, okay. So I, I put my leash on, get my board, and I look up, and I see the waves curl Blaze around and then push him right back into the shore, and he's crashing back into the shore. And I was like, are, are you sure you want to go? And he's like, yeah, yeah, Dad, I really want to go. I want to find these shark's teeth. And so I said, okay, well, you're going to have to dig in deeper. You're going to have to grind today with your, your paddle. And so we started to go, and I noticed a couple things. The wind was coming from the northeast, which means as we were going south on the Wando, it was hitting him kind of from the back and the side, hitting us. And every time he would look at the waves and the wind, his paddleboard would veer right. And if you know where I'm talking, down the Wando River, there's big docks. There's piers, right? And on low tide, those piers are covered with barnacles. So he was heading right towards danger. You know, and I kept having to say, Blaze, don't look, don't look that way. Look, look ahead. The other thing he would do is he'd lose his balance and he'd look down to try to get his footing. Where every time he did that, he'd lose his balance even more. And it, and it was a scary thing because um, anyone that's been paddleboarding or kayaking in Charleston, you're not just dealing with the waves, you're dealing with the current. And so we're fighting these elements. So much so that one of uh, the people in our church, Scott, who lives on the water, his wife's in the back, comes down. He's like, Paul, are you okay? He sees us from the shore. And I said, we're okay. And here's how we got to be okay. Blaze was paddling. I, I found myself coming right next to him and actually serving as a buffer between his paddleboard and these big docks. And eventually, I know it sounds cliche, but I said, Blaze, don't look out and don't look down. Just follow me. And for whatever reason, uh, my paddling next to him brought him comfort and confidence. And it's a good thing because that day, here was our hole. We found over 71 shark's teeth that day. And many of these are megalodon teeth, like inch and a half, two inches long. And so it was a glorious day, but those waves, they didn't let up. It was a, a scary time for us. And now let's turn back to our passage and to us. You see, we all face waves in life, don't we? We all face trials in life, don't we? And that's where we find uh, the, the disciples in Jesus in Mark chapter 6. And I think the big idea, the big takeaway from our passage is this. When the waves of life come crashing down is when the love of Jesus is distinctly found. When the waves of life, whatever those waves are, maybe it's a shattered relationship. Maybe it's a job that's not working out as you had hoped. Maybe it's this transition. Maybe you're starting to see the frailty and even the weakness in your own parents. And you're kind of shaken at the core. The waves just keep coming. Whatever it is, we see in our passage, when the waves of life do start coming crashing down, is actually 
when the love of Jesus is uniquely and distinctly found. And we see this in three different ways that we're going to unpack this morning. Number one, Jesus sees us, he sees you in our trials. Number two, he comes to us in our trials. And number three, he cares for us in our trials. Point number one, Jesus sees us in our trials. We read this morning, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethesda, and while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was on the sea, and he was alone on the land, and he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. A little backdrop or background information on our passage. Cody, I think it was last week or a couple of weeks ago, he preached on the feeding of the multitudes, the feeding of the 5,000. And he did a great job. And he began his message saying the disciples were hangry. They were hungry and angry. You see, they had worked all day. Earlier in Mark chapter 6, Jesus started sending people out two by two to do ministry for the first time alone. And they came back and reported. In the passage earlier in Mark 6, it reads that they were tired, and Jesus says, let's go to a desolate place so we can basically reset and recover. So they get in a boat, boat they go to a desolate place only to find 5,000 men, and if you include women and children, the, the theologians estimate 15 to 20,000 people there ready to hear from Jesus. And they were already shot. But Jesus was moved by compassion in that moment. He ends up taking five loaves, two um, pieces of uh, fish, and multiplies and feeds all of these people. Well, after that happens is when our passage takes place. They are wiped out a full day of ministry individually and in pairs and then in total, you know, with all the multitudes. And it says, what's interesting, it says Jesus then made them get in a boat and he pushes them out towards Bethesda. And then he goes up to reset with God the Father through prayer. Now, why would he do that? I, I just want to, this is an interesting point that can easily be, be looked over. Why would he push, make them get, get, get in the boat and get out of there? Well, in those days, the expectations uh, within the Jewish people was there would be a, a freedom fighter, a new king that would release the Israelites from the new slavery they experienced from the Roman Empire. And there's this sense, kind of between the verses in the text, that they were ready to, to make him king, and they were ready to go to war. You see, the people of that day didn't quite understand who Jesus was or what he was coming to do. He was going to be a different kind of servant and a different kind of king for them and for us. So Jesus, after a long day, puts his disciples into a boat, and pushes them out to the deep, pushes them out to sea. What does this mean? Why, why should we even look at this little piece of scripture? He doesn't send his disciples out of danger. He sends them actually right into it. So if any of you have grown up with prosperity gospel, you come to Jesus, all will be hunky-dory. This passage breaks the back of that teaching. Jesus doesn't say, hey, take a break. He, he says, Kind of get to your oars, I'm pushing you out, go to Bethesda. In fact, another translation reads like this. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. 
And this word straining in the original text, it means to be tormented. It's the same verb we read in the Gospels where people are tormented by evil and demon possession. For you moms in the room, it's the same word used in scripture for, scripture for childbearing. They were being tortured as they were trying to make their way across the sea. And it's interesting, it says the waves were against them. And I think some of you can probably even relate to that this morning. You maybe are walking in today just wiped out, wondering where is God in all of this? Where is God in my life? And in fact, I think he may have pushed me this way. And uh, in the midst of the trial, we read that Jesus actually sees the disciples in their trial. It's in the darkness, in the despair, that he doesn't turn from them, he turns towards them, his eyes on them. And you can almost imagine him on a mountaintop under the, the glistening, glistening moonlight, seeing these guys just going at it, giving their all, and just utterly wasted and wiped out from a long day in a treacherous paddling experience. And in fact, the language is so strong, their lives were in danger. Point number one, Jesus sees us in our trials. Point number two, he comes to us in our trials. The passage goes on. In about the fourth watch of the night, this is 3 or 4 a.m. They've been paddling that long. Uh, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by. We'll come back to that. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they were they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. As I was just alluding to, the picture here is one of desperation and utter exhaustion. The, the disciples, many of whom were fishermen, had come to the end of themselves, and they'd come to the end of their resources, and in fact, this was their darkest moment in their darkest night. And I just want to stop and ask, can you relate to this? Can you relate to them? Maybe it's now, maybe it's in the past, where you, you've given something your all. You've given a relationship you've all. You, you've given it your all. You've pulled all the levers of resources, all your thoughts, maybe your finances, whatever it is, and it's still not enough. And you find yourself in darkness. This week, I was processing this passage with one of our staff members, Kenneth, who plays the drums here. Kenneth is actually pursuing a master's in Old Testament from Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, but prior to playing the drums with us and pursuing this graduate degree, he was an air traffic controller in the, Arm, excuse me, in the Air Force and in the, in the Navy. And as we were talking about this passage, he, he said it reminds him of um, Operation Iraqi Freedom, in the early 2000s. Kenneth was serving on an aircraft carrier during that battle, during that war. And he said when, when fighter pilots would come back, they would be so shook up that they could barely make their way back to the aircraft carrier. You know, they'd, they'd experience flak from, you know, underneath. Some of them had gotten their, um, their planes shot up, and they were really shook up. He said you could hear it in their voices even though they've flown thousands of hours, and even though they'd talked to Kenneth thousands of times, he would find that they were really shook up. 
and they needed him to be calm and confident as he guided them home. And so they would come in to land, and oftentimes they'd even miss the landing platform. And they'd have to circle back around. And he'd have to just keep talking with them, walking them through what to do. And you see, um, they had come to the end of themselves. They were really shook up, and so it is with the disciples. And I think it's in those dark moments, right, where we think, where's God in all this? When the waves are beating you down, life's beating you down so much, you're like, you're tempted to say, God's abandoned me. How could I end up in this place in this time? And it's, as you see in this passage, the response of Jesus is just the opposite. He doesn't abandon the disciples in their danger. Rather, he's, he does the opposite. He enters into it. And you get this picture of Jesus walking on the waves and walking on their troubles towards them. Now, as I was preparing this message, Carly said, but I'm, I'm caught on this one weird phrase, and he meant to pass them by, right? So it says, like, they're, they're freaking out. They, and uh, you can imagine Peter, who is like the, he's the leader. You, you can imagine he's already taking control and screaming at everybody, row this way, row. And they're, they're just so utterly exhausted, right? And then it says, Jesus sees them, and he starts to come to them, and then he intends to pass them by. Well, that's nice, Jesus. Nice and callous of you, right? At first blush. But if you study this passage just even a little bit, this means something deep and rich for them and for us. In the Old Testament, out Mount Sinai, the Lord passed by Moses. At Mount Horeb, the Lord passes by Elijah. According to Job, God alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. When he passes me, I cannot see him. When he goes by, I cannot perceive him. You see, whenever God passes by people in the Old Testament, it's a figure of speech. His awesome otherness is turning towards them and for them. And what Jesus is doing here and what the scriptures are doing here is saying Jesus in fullness and completeness and God himself is coming to these guys and he's coming to us. He's passing us by and revealing himself in revealing his intention in his hearts for us. Point number one, Jesus sees us. Point number two, he comes to us in trials. And then point number three, he cares for us in our trials. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. You see, when Jesus comes to them, everything changes and God's power is unleashed. And at first, it comes through his words. He says, take heart, Dan. It is I. Take heart, Pam. It is I. Take heart, Hudson. It is I. I've come to you to care for you. And the verbiage here is the exact verbiage that is used when God comes to Moses and says, set my people free, Butch. 
Exodus chapter 3. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What's his name? What shall I say to them? God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said to them, Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. And just as that account captures I am in Exodus, Moses, I'm coming to you to redeem you. Jesus says the exact phrase, I am. Take heart. Be filled with courage. Not because of your circumstances, but because I am is here. And this is this a proclamation of God's power and presence that changes everything for them and for us. No matter what ways are coming your way, no matter what struggles, no matter what trials, it's not dependent on your you know, resources, your competency. It's, it's dependent on him bringing peace. And he gets into the boat and everything whoo, becomes calm. You see, just as God came to Moses, so Jesus comes to the disciples and he comes to you and to me. And this is why that word gospel exists in all its fullness. This is good news and the gospel changes everything. 1 John we read, this is how God showed his love amongst us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. So, again, Jim, no matter what you're facing this week, Jesus says, take heart, it is I. Joe, take heart, it is I. Bill, take heart, it is I. That relationship, that job, that parenting situation, that sibling situation. I'm actually traveling tonight to Minnesota to my in-laws for a family reunion. One of my wife's brothers will not be there. Why? Because he's in rehab, struggling with drug addiction. I need to hear these words, take heart, it is I. He needs to hear, take heart, it is I. We need to hear, take heart, it is I. So in summary, our passage teaches when the waves of life come crashing down is actually when the love of Jesus is distinctly found because he sees us, he comes to us, and he cares for us in those trials. Now, in a great twist, the passage ends in a unique way. And they were totally amazed, for they still didn't understand the significance of those loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. Now, this makes us pause. These were not outsiders. These were utter insiders with Jesus. And they still couldn't see him for who he was and what he'd come to do. You see, here's what I think was going on. And it happens with them and it happens with us. I think they saw the world and they saw the problems and the pain and all the wounds. And they said, the problem's out there, God. Would you liberate us from the problems out there? And Jesus, in hearing that and seeing that posture... He says, no, guys, the problem's here. 
It's right here, guys. You need heart. You need me. And so in closing, I want to ask two questions. Today, do you see him for who he says he is? I am the great I am. Take heart. It is I. And do you see your need for him in all the fullness of what that means? There's a great invitation and there's a great challenge here, isn't there? Recognizing who God is and who we are. And this morning, the invitation is simple. Let him into the boat. Let him into your life. Let him bring peace in his timing that passes understanding. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I rejoice in this scripture with all its simplicity and complexity. We come to you and we invite you to search our hearts and our lives where there is pain, where the waves are crashing against us, where we've run out of ourselves and our resources. God, I pray that we would confess who we are and acknowledge who your son Jesus is, that he came to mediate and to save and bring us new life. God, where there's pain in this room and their exhaustion exists in this room, God, I pray that your peace would fall and Jesus would move close to us. And if you find yourself in this room needing the waves to cease and new hope to be birthed, I invite you to simply say yes to Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.